What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the FN Story. This is somewhat of a unique take, not a Fortnite player or coach, but someone that I think will be super valuable to hear from, especially for a lot of you guys that are trying to figure out how to navigate within the space. Uh, this is Justin Jacobson. He is a lawyer who covers a lot of fields, but one in particularly is esports law and content creators. So, uh, Justin, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. And just in case you guys don't know, Justin has his own podcast. I was actually a guest on that one, so you could definitely check that out uh, as well. But would love to dive right in and kind of talk about like what got you into esports law, because I feel like that's probably not something you study at school, and then this is something you had to seek out. Yeah, definitely. You know, I kind of started in the more traditional entertainment, sports and music world, working with pro athletes, musicians and DJs and fashion designers. You know, I've always been a lifelong gamer. And about eight years ago, I kind of really noticed what was going on in esports. Like, you know, I'm a big StarCraft and StarCraft 2 fan. So I always knew how big it was in, you know, South Korea and Asia. But it wasn't until about then that I really saw how huge it was getting here in North America and kind of the direction it was going. And I just kind of like looked at the space, looked at some of the other attorneys that were doing stuff at a high level, and I really just noticed they were all very similar. So I felt coming from a different background, a different skill set, connections, and you know, being here in New York, I had something unique to bring to the table. And from there, I just kind of began working with you know, agents on behalf of their players, doing their deals, and then eventually working with players and coaches and casters and everyone directly. And just from there, I've just been kind of doing that and helping with contracts and copyrights and trademarks and visas and LLCs and just all of the things that are necessary to operate in this entertainment space. That's cool. So where what would you say like percentage of what you do is like esports gaming content related versus everything else i would say a, m most of it but then again what i've really kind of found is being able to sit on like the intersection of music and sports and gaming and esports and really work with you know some athletes in the gaming space some musicians in it and really either help them build or grow so it's really nice that there's just so many similarities and hybrids where you know I'm working on things that kind of straddle both worlds. But then again, I still have my music clients and, you know, then some athletes that I work with and stuff like that. Yeah. And even more so recently, I mean, we've seen a few pro football players, Sean Jackson, Preston Smith created, I think it's Hall of Fame gaming. And then there's Soul Runner gaming with Tyree Kill. There's, oh, there's another one I can't remember. Roger Saffold. There you go. There's a, a lot of, pro athletes starting to get involved and there there's even like i mean both you and i are jets fans we we're just talking about it sauce Gardner streams a good bit yeah. loves to do his gta rps and you know throw up the streams have some fun and just play video games so it's now more relevant than ever because previously pro athletes i feel like didn't really care for games but now they're growing up in like the age of the internet and video games and it's just part of life at this point so it's cool to see well yeah i mean i think related to that i always knew that some of them played in the locker room and stuff but it wasn't until more recently that they really kind of like put it out there like i definitely heard of some intense madden and you know these kind of things over time in the locker rooms but now with you know obviously the internet and twitch and being able to really share it and the cultural stigmas no longer associated with it it's you know kind of front and center and you know i love it i do too it's um <laughs> i'm so glad to be able to call this a job it is actually unbelievable um all right would love to learn more about so in my space i'm an independent contractor i pretty much work solely on contract basis um sometimes i'll send out my own contract and other times i will get a a contract and sometimes i'll get a quote unquote contract from people which is like a word document that's eight lines long uh, i would love to know like what constitutes a legal binding agreement right because a lot of times in esports or at least within the fortnite space i've seen tons of people 
get signed and then their contract comes out and it's like a notepad off someone's computer that they're like yep this guy owes me 10 million dollars and then it's just not real but i would love just to understand and to share with people like what constitutes something that's legally binding versus just like a written statement on a word document i mean i think that's a really interesting point because you know this question is brought up where it's like, in order for a contract to exist, you got to have an offer and acceptance and consideration. So there has to be an offer of something. So I'm going to give you X amount to do this or to give me this, whatever it is. I'm going to give you $100 to cast this event. And then if you accept it by saying, yes, I will do this, or if you perform and they give you the money and you take the money, this is you know you accepting their offer. And then the consideration is the money that's kind of paid for it. So in theory, you technically have an agreement once you have some kind of material terms of what the fee is, what you're doing, what the obligations are, like maybe a date and time. When there's enough specific and specificity, kind of what they look at, then you have a contract. However, like you said, there's a there's between a 10, 15, 20-page contract that covers everything versus you know, a three-page or like a two-line thing that's like, we're going to give you money, do this, 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 and it's like... In theory, if you sign it and you're over 18 and, you know, a gun isn't held to your head or something, like, it's going to be enforceable. It's probably not going to be a good contract and it's probably not going to address it a lot of things that it should or that it could or that will protect you. But it is a contract and it is enforceable in theory, especially if they give you the money and you do what you're supposed to. It's like, that's kind of the basis of it. Interesting. So... It is technically something that could be covered, but at the same time, it's if it's so basic, there's a lot of ways I would imagine that it is arguable one way or another, right? Well, it's just also you just it doesn't help you. It doesn't usually benefit you. It, you know what I mean? It's usually like there's certain things that you're looking for that you wish you had in there to protect you, where if it's like you know, ownership over it or a non-compete or exclusivity or any of these things that restrict you, if it's not addressed in there, it becomes, you know, very muddled. So it's one of those things where I always tell people, it's like, oh, don't tell me of a two, three page agreement. Tell me of a 20, 30 page agreement. Because <laughs> at least I know everything that really needs to be in there is in there. Like if I get like a one or two page agreement and it's like a real complex thing, it's like, like, this is just, there's just too many important factors, too many variables, too many things you have to worry about and be aware of for this to be, you know, workable. And, you know, I think that's the thing you realize as you're doing working with bigger companies, bigger entities and going up the chain and doing bigger deals that are for more money and longer term. The agreements get longer as they should, because there's a lot more at stake here, you know, like a small thing where they're paying you hundred dollars to do a two-hour thing they give you the money you do it and that's it okay that's pretty simple though you got the money you did the thing keep it moving but if it's more elaborate or over a certain period of time or you have to do a certain amount of posts or go to you know meetings and pre-sessions you know all the stuff right. that they build into the contract that they don't pay you for but you're expected to be there and it's like part of the job and if you don't show up to the pre conference meeting about this the run of show they're gonna you're gonna have a problem but they're not gonna pay you extra for that right like so it's it's one of these things where why shouldn't you get paid an hour if you have to go on a random day and go into the studio and it, so these are the things that you start thinking about and trying to build into your contract yeah i mean those things i've luckily been treated very well i've had one poor experience and never not gotten paid for work that I've done. So like knock on wood, I've been quite lucky within this space because I've heard like nightmares about different yes, things. Exactly. People constantly trying to chase down money that they're owed for work that's been done. And I mean, I, I know a couple of people that are currently trying to chase several figures worth of money that they're in my way. I love chasing money. <laughs> Um, but as far as you talked about, there should be certain pieces to protect yourself in there. Like what are some of the clauses or pieces within a contract 
for you know a caster like myself a content creator an esports player like what are some things that people should look out for in order to be able to protect themselves well you know obviously every agreement's different but i think it's there's certain things you can really kind of focus on obviously you know the term or the length of the agreement is it a one off thing is it several months is it several um you know events tournaments etc other options to continue you know obviously if you're signing with a team it might be beneficial to get a second option in there for a guaranteed increase in salary so it's like you know you have that in there whether or not you're going to stay there or whatnot you at least know it's there so being aware of how that stuff is structured and who can execute it is really important also kind of how you know maybe prize money or salary might be paid obviously certain leagues have minimum salaries but you know, you want to make sure you get it and understanding how it's paid, what to do if it's late, you know, are there late fees? When do you have to give them notice? How long do they have to cure? You know, and I know something you probably know is maybe how the payment comes, especially for a gig. Is it like half on signing and half when you do it? Or is it wait until you do the, the event? Or is it 30 days after the date? Or is it net 30 or net? So it's like there's so many variables beyond what you're getting paid, how you're getting paid. Right. And it's really, it's really great if you can get half when you sign the contract and, you know, half a week before that would be wonderful. Oh yeah. But usually if you're lucky, maybe you'll get some on signing, but most of the time, exactly. You'll have to do the gig, then they'll invoice you and then it'll be net 30 or net 60, whatever the corporate policy is. And, you know, hopefully you get that, you know, and that's important. Right. And I think beyond that, looking at you know how the non-compete is structured obviously if you're working with a brand or a company or doing an event they might not necessarily want you working for a rival the next day or doing another event so how that's structured how long that goes for that's really important or maybe it doesn't exist where it's like you can work for dreamhack one day and esl the next and blast after that and we play and any other you know organizer across the world in any game you want. Or maybe it's like you can't do another Fortnite stream for three months. Like you can't be a caster for, if you're going to do a year with us, you can't then go to the rival and do their game. Or maybe you can. So it's, these are really important things to be aware of because they'll obviously impact you on, you know, what your future is. So again, same with brands. If you do, you know, a deal with Coke, they're not going to want you a month later to then start pushing pepsi everywhere it's going to be weird it's not you know you need to have sometimes this kind of non-compete after where you're not gonna work with a rival company and or any company that they directly compete with so there's all these things are really important to be aware of and stuff that you should focus on yeah that's something i luckily haven't run into but i i did see recently that i think it was blast and esl we're kind of starting to put that into their contracts as far, maybe not into their contracts, but in practice, if you were working with one, you weren't working with the other, um, which is quite unfortunate. And I think that I want to say it's either Dota or Counter-Strike. One of the two, I don't remember. Um, Maybe Rainbow Six. No, it was Rainbow Six. Sorry. Essentially it was something along the lines of like, if you were hired for, let's say the blast event. I don't know which one was doing, which it was, it was one sided. So I'm probably going to get this wrong. Let's not use names. But if you were working with one company, the other company wasn't going to hire you for the same event. Even if you were considered like the top of the line caster. In even though they, sh- even if they should have. Yes. Um, which is also a strange thing. Like, I don't know that many people understand how casting works, but it, as much as it is, being good at your job a lot of it's political and like who you know and what all goes on behind the scenes who they want to appear on a screen based on certain things so it is very uh interesting the way those decisions are made should i say yes definitely the people that are in charge of those decisions have a lot of factors that go into it it's obviously social media numbers are a factor but as we know, they're solely definitely not. There are probably some people there whose numbers might not echo the magnitude of the stage they're on. Um, now, there's one thing that I've been seeing, um, not particularly in things that I've worked on, but 
being brought up and you're also in the entertainment space. So like this was a huge piece with the whole AI and using your likeness in perpetuity. And at first I'm sure I probably signed a contract or two that said people could use my name, likeness, whatever, however long they want. Um, now I understand that and they could use it in connection to the event that I am working. And that is what I keep it as, but that's also something people need to be aware of because if you don't cut off the ability of a company to use your image likeness, whatever you've done for that company in connection to an event or a term, you're going to run into issues where it could be five years down the line. You're going to see your ad like say I blow up, I'm now a 200,000 follower person somewhere, whatsoever, whatever. Now they're going to be like, all right, we could use all of his stuff he did for us because he's a big name and it's way more valuable. It. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of another point that you bring up kind of the ownership of what you're creating for them, as well as, you know, how they can use your name or name, image, and likeness, which is your legal name, your gamer tag, your logo, your signature, your voice, you know, anything that's identified by you. So if you have an amazing call and they start using it on all these clips, like you might want to have some residual royalty or some ability to control this, or they might just be like, no, we own everything. It's all part of the recording. And that's what it is. So these are the things to be aware of. And like you said, restricting it to solely for that one time, maybe having a time frame where it's like, okay, this you can use this for three years. After three years, you either have to pull it or you have to repay me to renew it. So there's lots of creative things you can do depending on the level of what you're doing and what your leverage is. So I think it's really important, like you said, to understand how they can use it when the deal is done. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, and I like the term what your leverage is, too, because you don't always have leverage in a negotiation. Um, so sometimes you do need to pull out of things, even though it may be favorable to you, just because they're try essentially trying to fuck you is like the best way to put it. Right. They sometimes say the best deal is the one you don't take. Like, and I've had the, I had this conversation yesterday where it was like, there's sometimes when I read an agreement, I'm like, you can't sign this. Like, this is a horrible deal. Like, 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 it's just like you're doing too much editing. If they're not going to step, like, it's just not what you want. And, you know, sometimes, like you said, it's hard to pass up on the money. It's hard to pass up on, yeah, I'm true. And you don't know when the next one's coming. But if you sign a bad deal that really jams you up, it could really jam you up and you just have to know what your worth is. And sometimes again, the best deal is the one that you don't sign. And sometimes it's really hard. And sometimes there are clients that don't listen to me and they sign a deal and they come back and like, Oh, I wish I didn't do that. And then you have the other side where I've had ones that are like, Oh, thank you for making me not sign that deal. Someone else signed and they got so screwed. And if I had signed it, I would have been screwed too. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, my job is to get a deal done. I'm a deal maker, not a deal breaker. But some deals you just can't take. Yeah. And that's my job to, you know, not always tell you what you want to hear, but to tell you the truth and to, to protect you sometimes from yourself. Now, as far as like, I know a lot of players like to listen to this, but say they're looking at a contract for the first time. Um most times, if it's for the first time, it's very little value. But what would you say is kind of the best steps? Uh, I would imagine you'd say reach out to yourself, but say you're not going to do that right away. Like, what do you think would be some, like, advisable options? Well, advice, get a lawyer, get someone, you know, someone that can help you if you don't understand it. And I think ultimately you should not sign something you don't understand or you don't feel comfortable with. I don't care what the cost is, how small the scale is. Again, if it's we're going to be $100 to do one thing that doesn't really have a long-term effect, okay, maybe that's a little different. But if you're signing something that's elaborate, something that's very broad, like something that just doesn't feel right, you have to trust your gut. And I think you know the cost that you might think, it might not be as much as you think. You know, like to get someone to be like, hey, can you just look at this and just like tell me if this is a good deal or not even really just to negotiate it. Because honestly, the 
two, three hundred, whatever it is, couple dollars that you're going to spend to get that opinion, not even to have them negotiate it and redline it, just to be like, let me check it out, let me tell you my opinion, and you know, if you want me to do a do- deeper dive, we could figure that out, but. Like, is this a shitty, like, is this going to really be a problem? Especially if you don't understand it. And ultimately, beyond that, there's, you know, volunteer lawyers for the arts. There's definitely people that are willing to kind of just help look at, you know, agreements, you know, pro bono. And some people are willing to grow that they want to just do the work, get the flow going and grow with you. So I think that's always a component. But you really just have to, you know, read it and then. I always say you can try to engage in some sort of negotiation because these things isn't take it or leave it, but it has to be reasonable. You know, if something is in there and it, like you said, it really don't want them to be able to use my name and likeness in perpetuity. I really just want to limit it to this broadcast as well as, you know, promotional and archival value. Like you can say, we've had casters such as somebody, you know, SBG on our cast. We're not going to be able to continuously say he's with us, but we can't erase it from history. So, okay, that might be a reasonable restriction. And it's worth you proposing it. Or, you know, I always say, give me the Microsoft Word document and redline stuff in and just send it over. The worst they're going to say is no. I've never been in a situation and I've never heard of someone just pulling a deal like, how dare you ask for something? Especially something reasonable and realistic. If you're asking for crazy, like, outrageous stuff... Like a funny story is like last week I I kind of gave a red line back and the other lawyers like hey man this is like a lot a lot of stuff like like we're not gonna get a deal done if like this is where you guys want so if you can scale it back and make it you know really focus on the most important things we could get this done so I went back with my client we reevaluated we you know honed in on the most important things and we got the deal done so it's like most of the time you're negotiating because you really want to do the deal but. You just need to feel confident, like you said, to ask for certain things that you feel strongly about. And if they say no, then like we said, sometimes you have to walk away. But, you know, I don't think anyone is going to completely, like, say, how dare you ask for that restriction? I don't want to work with you. Like, maybe they'll say, okay, well, we can use it for three years. You know, there's always a reasonable compromise. Like, like that's the truth of it. So I think that you should never be scared whether it's with an attorney or whether it's on your own, to try to, you know, request an edit or two. If you're going to come back and destroy the whole thing and try to, you know, change every word and everything, you might run into some problems, you know. But ultimately, you know, little things here and there I don't think should be a problem. Definitely. And in my experience, I haven't ever had somebody really have issues Besides like, okay, you're asking for too much here, right? Yeah. And then you kind of reel it back in, just like what you just said. Like, you, you can send over everything, and then most times pe- people will be like, all right, you kind of asked for the entire ship here. I, I can't give that to you. Reel it in a little bit. And not only that, but typically if you're at a contract phase, there's already some kind of like verbal agreement, and you're just kind of working out the specifics of the agreement versus like oh here first initial engagement we had a 10 minute phone conversation sign this contract so it it does favor it's only favorable to people to have someone look it over especially if it's something that could be long term or like a problem for you down the down the road if you don't um i'm lucky i have a buddy who is in law so he he wrote my contracts for me that I'll send to people if I'm feeling the need for something like that or they don't send one over. Um, and it's just very helpful to have something in writing and it covers my butt in case something were to go wrong. And, you know, there have been people that have said like, yo, this clause is not okay with us. Uh, we got to take that out because it is 100% a super beneficial contract to myself but that's what i'm gonna start with right right i think that's what i say it's like we are negotiating with a team or someone it's like their lawyers are doing their job which is protecting them so you need someone whose job it is is to protect you and to make sure your interest is protected and otherwise hey the obviously i'm gonna slant the agreement to protect me why wouldn't i like like that's just good business 
100%. Um, and as far as like some basic aspects that uh, we've kind of covered some, but is there anything else that you think like I'm the general person getting involved in these kind of agreements that I, I should know or that I should be on the lookout for? I mean, I think that even more than that, you should just be aware with how you publicly communicate. I think a big thing I've noticed a lot with, you know, especially people in the esports world is they don't realize that what they say on, you know, social media, Twitch, Twitter on stream and chats, like there's always someone screenshotting something like, like and the internet is forever. And I think that people in this space don't really understand the impact of their statements, their, you know, rash interactions, that they have lasting implications. And I think people in this space need to look at it in a much more professional way. They have to take it as such, like going to the internet and complaining about every little thing, like that's not really that professional. And I and I always kind of comment on it and I like I don't like it when people are complaining at the developer and saying this game is all like and cursing out the game that makes your living. That's probably not the way to gain, you know, clout and respect with the developers who run everything. They're probably not going to favor you at all. And ultimately, it's really unprofessional because what other brand is going to want to associate with someone who is going to act like that publicly about anything? You know what I mean? And I think one thing be that's like, yeah, obviously you want to approach this professionally from a business side, whether it's, you know, trademarking, copyrights, LLCs and all that, but just from the way you carry yourself, you know, there are a lot of brands that will not associate with people because of certain comments or certain things, or we see people losing brand deal all the time because of a tweet they liked or retweeted or, you know, just something. And I'm sure in hindsight, they would love to unretweet that. I'm sure in hindsight, Nick Merckx would love that that whole situation didn't happen, that he got re- removed from the Call of Duty game. Like, like we don't, he can say whatever he wants to say, but if he could have a time machine and go back, <laughs> he would time machine and go back. So he didn't, you know what I mean? And it's just yeah. like, people don't realize this stuff. And the thing is, this stuff always surfaces at the worst time. When you're just about to blow up, just about to get that big deal, that random time you said something stupid on a tweet, a Twitch stream or replied to someone's Twitter five years ago because you were mad about something, it comes back. Yeah. And it all washes away. You know, that's that's all they that's all she wrote, as they say. Well, I, I think people don't realize how easy it is for like especially a big brand that has all the tools to quickly search something like this. Like if you tweet something I mean, there's tools out there. You could literally just put in search terms, find anything that this person said that could have been controversial. It'll auto-populate with anything. And then if there's any red flags in there, it's like, okay, well, that's really easy on our behalf. We don't want to work with this person. So I I worked in sales and like a desk job for four or five years before doing all this. So very much do appreciate the like confirmation of please keep it professional. I try. Uh, I think I do a decent job of the way I portray myself and I wish other people did that. But the thing that's difficult, especially from speaking with people, is if you've never had to do that and you've gotten away with being the way that you are constantly, right? Like say you're 16, you blow up. You have a massive YouTube channel. You've never actually understood like proper communication. Someone handles it for you that does everything. Like there's that disconnect. And hopefully over the next few years, it like it gets better because I it that what you just mentioned is one of my pet peeves. Not just like the way people portray themselves, but the way people act in meetings and it, it is actually wild to me. Some of the things and conversations that people think are okay to bring up in a professional workplace and it's just like i know we might be friends here but like this is also work you cannot say those things yeah and i think it's one of those things where sometimes you just like take the phone away put the phone down (laughs) right the best email or tweet is again sometimes the one you don't send right You, you write out the tweet you're like click delete i always tell my clients if you have something upset whatever it is 
send the text message to me, send the email to me. Like, you know, that tweet that you wanted to send out because you're mad, send it to me, okay? You got it out, somebody else heard it, it's gone. Because the repercussions of one lapse in judgment, one just being too angry, taking things too seriously, letting your emotions get the best of you, and we're all human, we get it, but now you're putting yourself out as you're no longer just a regular person, right? It's like you are this public figure, right? In the law, they say you thrust your thrust yourself into the limelight. You stream, you content create, you compete, you cast. Like you made yourself a public figure by what you're doing. So as a result, people are going to judge you based on what you do. And if you don't realize that, you know, it's going to be a rude awakening one day. Yeah, you can't have it both ways. You can't have like your fame be the one thing that makes you successful in all your money and then also have it not harm you when you do something wrong. Um, but there also is a fine line. I feel like recently people have kind of been going overboard with like the cancel culture nonsense and some things are deserved, some things aren't, but I don't know. We'll see how that all handles handles itself because I'm sure it will over the next few years. Um, now when diving back a little bit more into your expertise for like red flags, what are some things where if I'm like, I'm looking at a contract, what should set off an alarm in my head that I need to be careful or I just shouldn't even think about working with a company? I mean, I think it's one of those things where you kind of know it when you see it, where I think something that's very broad, very expansive, that just just seems really unnecessary. Like, I know I was doing a deal, and it was like a one-off sponsored stream for a streamer, and it was like, there was like a six-month non-compete in there, and it was like, this makes no sense. Like, you're doing a one-off stream for, you know, a couple thousand dollars. Like, there's it's highly unnecessary for you to have such a long, let alone really a non-compete at all. So I just knocked it out, you know, crossed it out in a red line, and they didn't say anything. You know, I made a comment, like, it's probably unnecessary for him to have this. And they're like, we agree, and they just did it. And it was just kind of like, it just didn't add up to me. So it's one of those things where, like, as you read through it, you kind of notice things that you think are a bit too aggressive, Obviously, the more you do this, you kind of are familiar with what it should read. So once it doesn't read like that, you're like, oh, well, I've never had this situation. So why would it be like this now? That makes sense. Um, I, I think it's fairly easy when, when you've read a couple of contracts. I, I think for the most part, though, seeing something for the first time, like getting your first legal agreement that you have to sign can sometimes be overwhelming. Um, but that's also a great time to reach out to someone like yourself or another lawyer. If you got a family friend who's a lawyer, maybe ask them or a parent or something. Where... Well, well, I'll give the caveat on that. And I think it's one of those things where someone who is in the entertainment sports, fat, like these entertainment worlds, just because you're a lawyer, maybe just because you're a business lawyer, contract lawyer, you don't necessarily have maybe the specialty or the familiarity with some of this stuff. It might not be really that familiar. You might not understand the way streaming or royalties or, you know, music, the music licensing comes where you have the two copyrights. So I always kind of caution people on just using a lawyer who's a lawyer because there is a reason why people have these specialties. There is a reason why, you know, I do, you know, record deals and publishing deals and licensing deals and sponsorship and, you know, team. And it's like, these are specialized deals. So once you're doing with the hundred thieves and optic and, you know, Activision Blizzard and all these big companies, you start to understand the way the deals are structured, what should be in there, what's really unnecessary or really like, oh, well, I've never had this before. Like, it doesn't make sense. And usually they take that out because they know, like, you know, I, I had a team and it was like so shady. I hated it. They were like, oh, well, we're going to recoup the money we spend for your tournaments from the winning. So the the hotels, the flights, the food that we're going to pay, if you win, we're just going to take that money out of it. And I'm like, I've never, ever had that like i've done deals for eight years already never once would a team do that so i fought back on it like okay okay you're right they took it out but let me tell you the other two kids on the team that didn't have me as their lawyer i guarantee you their contract had that clause in there 
So it just kind of showed me that because I understood the space, I've done these deals before, it can be like, hey, the Phase Optic, Immortals, and all these other teams, CLG, G2, like they don't have this in there. Like this doesn't make any sense why you would. And they're like, okay, yeah, yeah. And they back off immediately. So it's, there's where the specialty comes in and the expertise beyond just being a lawyer. So, you know, obviously it's better to have that than no one. But there is, a, you know, there is a reason why people specialize in different areas in the legal world. Yeah, and I think that was more my point of, like, if you're just going to sign something yourself, at least get a second person to look at it. Versus, yeah. like, you know, if you're working out a year-long, multi-year contract, you should definitely have someone that has your best interest, understands what they're looking at. And that's actually wild. I, I've never heard of anything like that of where a team is going to pay you to represent this them. is like a tier one org. This is like a tier one major org that got major investors. I'm not gonna blow them up in a major tier one esport, like paying these kids six figures plus a year. And that was in there and I was so confused. But you know, again, we got rid of it and keep it moving. Are there any other like stories like that of some oh. absolute nonsense that has gone on when you're trying to reach an agreement with people in, in the space? I mean, I, I think it's sometimes funny to see kind of how everyone acts. Like there's one time really early on, I was you know going through this deal with this PUBG player. We spent like two plus hours on the phone going through the whole 30 page agreement, telling him all the reasoning behind my red lines. Da, 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 da. We give it to the team. We don't hear from him Saturday. We're like, what's going on? Then we hear from him Sunday. Like, Hey man, like, so sorry. Like I just signed the deal. Like the team just wanted me to come. And like, that was that. And I was just like, like, what do you mean you just signed this deal? This deal was horrible. There were so many issues in it, and you understood them, and you agreed. But, like, you still – and it was just – it just baffled me that I spent all this time, all this energy, and you literally just – it was for nothing. So it was just kind of really shocking because I've never experienced that before. You know, like I said, I've been in the entertainment industry for 20 years, been an attorney for over 10, so it's – like, I understand dealing with creative people, rappers, musicians, artists, like, at, like, these are some crazy, quirky people. But I've never experienced that. But, you know, I think in terms of more fun stuff, there, you know, I have a streamer I was working with, and, you know, she got a really big opportunity to really level up, and her, you know, she was exploding. So I kind of went to the team she was, and, I, you know, she was signed to, and I knew that, you know, they were going to get a lot of exposure from this. So I was like, hey, like, you know, she wants double to stay here. Like, you know, you're paying her this, but like, we want double. Like, whatever it's called, the the owner. I'm like, we need double, or like, you know, you're probably just gonna have to drop her, kind of thing. And you know, they went back two hours later. No problem. Let's do it. And it was just kind of like halfway through her contract, we renegotiated an extension for two more years. You know, got her a raise for the second year, and it was just like, it was just like a move. And it was just kind of like you felt. I felt like it was right. I felt like we had a really good, again, leverage, where it was like she was about to blow up and they were going to kind of come along for the ride. And, you know, that was a good one. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like it. That sounds like a great person to have in your corner that's like, yo, just pay me double. And uh, the f I feel like most people understand value. Um, and when there's value in something, it's not hard to negotiate for it. Although right now in esports is kind of scary. I would love to just like understand or learn your thoughts, not even understand exactly what's going on. But we, we keep hearing esports winter, esports winter, everything's going to hell. And it kind of is that way. Like there's a lot of people that have gotten laid off. We just had the Epic Games layoffs yes yesterday. There's been a ton of other games, Activision Blizzard earlier this year um the guard i mean we can name them all but every week like, it seems like right yeah it's it seems like it's crumbling yet there are still people being very successful in the space so from like your perspective i would just like to get an understanding of where you see this right now and kind of where you see it's go where it's going i mean i don't think it's the sky is falling the way the media portrays it i think yes maybe the VC money and these insane, 
you know, figures that Forbes was, you know, touting all over the place might not necessarily be as true to the actual value of everything. But I do think that, you know, there's a something amazing here. I think it's really going to grow and explode. I, you know, I see in the back of your Garden State esports, Pat, you know, credentials. So I think that's where there's a lot of optimism in the future, the next generation, the 12 to 15, the 16 year olds, the kids that are really starting to grow up with watching other people gaming, gaming at a high level, gaming being a lot much more part of their day-to-day culture and life and not kind of stigmatized the same way it was when I grew up or, you know, our parents or their parents. Like, it's just a whole different world. So I think it's really just evolving. And that's kind of the way I look at it is that it's maybe not the Super Bowl crusher that everyone says it is, but do I think it's going to probably get there? Yeah, I do. I think colleges across the country will have huge tailgates the way they do for college football, and it's just going to be another thing for people to root for. And how long that takes, I don't know. But, you know, you can go to any big live event, and you can see thousands of people there. The energy is amazing. Like, that's esports, you know, and that is, I think, what's always going to get bigger and continue to grow and that's kind of got to be the focus you know and then beyond that is looking at as much more than just competitive gaming you know to me the e in esports is entertainment that people turn to it for just entertainment it's exciting it's you know you see passion and skill and you know everything you look for in traditional sports You know, you see people competing at the highest level. You see them winning, them losing, the underdog, the upset, right? The the rookie that came out of nowhere. You know, all these great storylines all play out in League of Legends. So you have that unique stories. So I think it's just more familiarity, more cultural acceptance, more people just being like, obviously, I watch people game. You know, like coming from the traditional entertainment world, my first couple years was just explaining to like music people and mainstream brands and clothing companies and whatever, like what this is. Like, what do you mean kids get paid to play video games? Like, like, what do you mean they're making thousands or millions of dollars and thousands of kids are watching it and all like, like, I don't understand this. So it was, that was kind of the first wave of this, right? So it's kind of like we're coming out of that phase of, shock value so as a result you had this sticker price because all these people are learning about this huge thing that has hundreds of millions of viewers and is dominating asia and europe and australia and latin america and it's just coming across everywhere and you know hype is hype right like nfts and all that stuff was the hype after that and it's you know now that's the dirty word of the day right you might have to bleep that out (laughs) Yeah, it is interesting. Um, I mean, when money's cheap, it gets thrown around. Money's expensive now, and like that's why we see less investment and just throwing money at esports at anything that kind of hits one of those buzzwords is not going to be a way to create a sustainable business. And I feel like now the organizations, the companies that are left in the space are figuring that out and doing a better job of that. I mean. 100 Thieves, to me, is the perfect example of what a lot of these orgs should have done is pivot, create other brands, create businesses where you sell goods so that way you can use your branch to market it, but you're also getting value in return by selling goods for a profit. And, like, they have Juvie, they have their clothing. Uh, I think, yeah, they're working on a keyboard company. Yeah, they have have high ground. Apparels, so, or peripherals. And yeah. it's just all of that that like comes together. Um, I actually, there was it was my friends recently. I, uh, they're not big gamers, but they're like, why would you guys want to watch someone play video games? I'm like, well, why would you want to watch someone play football? They're really good at it. Like, why would I not want to watch people that are really good yeah. at what they do? Um, it's like, well, why don't you just play yourself? It's like, why don't you just go play a game of football yourself? Like, it's very easy for me to understand but then there is still this stigma to a lot of people that it's like ew why would would i do that so as we get older um and as kids kind of grow up with it i feel like you know 20 years from now 
it'll be mainstream where gaming maybe isn't at the level of the NFL unless something happens to the NFL, but there will be very much still this core. I mean, it'll be number three. It'll be the NFL, the NBA, and then it'll be competitive gaming. What title it's going to be, I don't know. I use it as a widget. It's a placeholder. It doesn't matter what the game is. There will be people competing and watching people compete as a sport, you know, and it will probably be more popular than baseball and certainly more popular than hockey or MLS will probably be. Hmm. You really think it'll be number three? Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at the trends of the generation, like how many, like if you look at the stats of baseball fans, right, it's, it's very much, you know, dad and grandpa generation. And, you know, if you look at NFL and NBA, it's much younger, excuse a lot younger. So in theory, those people are going to be fans for the next X amount of years. And so I don't know if they'll, you know, I don't, you can't quote me on it, but <laughs> I, I would be shocked if it in 20 years from now, it's not a thing, right? If I'm a betting man, I would bet that more likely it's going to be up there than non-existent. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think one of the things that I saw people doing, because I've seen some pitch decks that people threw at um, companies and brands trying to get money for esports, is consider all esports one thing. It's like, yeah, League of Legends gets 250,000 viewers, and then you're like a small streamer that does this like indie game trying to use those numbers. But I also think that people have kind of caught on to like, you can't just clump all esports into one thing. And there will be like League of Legends will still be around. I'm interested to see how Counter-Strike 2 goes because that is kind of like a staple as far as like the hardcore competitive fans. And then there's like Dota and all these other, well, I shouldn't say Dota as one of all the other ones. That's one of the mains, but then there's all these others like Fortnite, Smash, all the fighting games. They kind of all Rocket have like League. yeah, these like niche fan bases. Um, and I'm interested to see if they can grow to the level of anything else with time, or it's just like this is the best it's ever going to be. I mean, I think that you know, with you know, a lot of the fighting game stuff, it's very release based. So it's like. It's it's fun when the new game comes out and in the series and it plays it for a while and then it kind of dies. You know, I I was like, what happens when Riot Games just stops and wants to make League of Legends two? Like when it's like, okay, guys, we're done with League of Legends. It's time for us to make League of Legends two. You know, and know with StarCraft and StarCraft two, that was a huge kind of thing in esports history. It was like StarCraft was a huge game. It was you know took the world by storm. You had PC bangs and, you know, all the stuff you can read about in my book, you know, hashtag ad. And then you kind of had StarCraft 2 and it was like a new game and knew this and knew that. And a lot of the StarCraft players were hesitant to play it because, you know, they were used to this other game and now there's this new game. And it was it took a while for it to catch on. And then it obviously exploded and became, you know, one of the hugest games ever, especially in esports world. But no one really talks about StarCraft 2 anymore as an eSport, right? It's, it kind of exists, but it's, it's not in the breath that you mentioned. And it's probably not in, you know, the Rocket League, Free Fire, like, you know, mobile game, PUBG, kind of Call of Duty, some Halo, like kind of some of these secondary titles that exist. Yeah, I think that's also a huge barrier to keeping this steady fan base is games develop and new games come out and then they die off as well and it makes it much more difficult to create this like long historic rise of a player a team whatever it may be uh where you you gotta kind of jump at times and pivot and it will push some fans away when you do different things and also at the same time you know the developers have way too much control in this space where your call of duty, you put out a shitty game. Well, now you have to play COD COD league in my shitty game. And even though the other one was like not inarguably better than the one we just put out. So it's interesting that 
there's so many parallels I see with sports, and then there's so many ones that aren't even close. And the develop, I call it developer problem, but also like they're the ones creating these awesome games, so like they're not necessarily a problem. But the amount of power they have, I think, is the problem in the space because no matter what anyone wants to do, ultimately they can do whatever the hell they want and ruin or make things as they please. Well, yeah, you know, it's their game and they own it so they can do what they want. But I think, you know, my prophecy is there's eventually going to be 20 to 25 global esports orgs that all, you know, you'll have the 100 Thieves, the Phase, the Optic, you know, Gen G and T1 and just some of these really ones. And they'll just field teams in whatever the game is of choice at that point. And it'll just be more i always kind of look at it as less the sports and more the music world where you have you know rockefeller and cash money and you know atlantic records and arister and it's like it's like kind of a cool thing to be associated with these people do do events with them and like you're saying to become much more of just a media company in the gaming space who has these you know maybe you have the competitive players and but that's not all you're doing that's not your sole focus and it's just one vertical in a bigger business. I love the ors that have started record labels like G2 launch your own record label. I thought that's ingenious. You know, not only do you now have a new vertical, you can get all this original music that you can monetize on the back end. Your your streamers and content creators can use it in their videos, so you can make that money there and you're now being able to add a new cultural way for you can do a music and gaming festival and you know, there's just so many things, like you said, where you're not at the publisher's control, where you're just using your brand, your coolness, your influencers to do something. And that's where you can really make money, where it's not based on the game. The fact that you game is kind of part of the conversation, but that's kind of where it ends, right? It's yeah. more of like, we're going to the 100 Thieves Cash Compound to have live music and to hear artists we never heard of and you know it's an album release party you know it's like there's so many different avenues and that's where i hope it goes and you know like you said you're starting to see some organizations catching on and seeing that's probably the way to do this that's cool i honestly didn't even know that g2 started their own record label how how recently is that Maybe it was a year ago, you know, yeah. Esports Insider and all these people put out so many articles. It's, you know, because I teach all these classes, like one of the classes is kind of like more of like an advanced esports. So I look at, you know, the intersection of music and esports and gaming and sports and esports and movies and TV and kind of just all of these new trends that we're seeing. So, you know, that's cool. And you mentioned your book. Uh, yeah. What is it called? And like, what is like, what's the value of the reader picking it up? Um, so, yeah. So, you know, I wrote the first esports business law book, which is the essential guide to the business and law of esports and professional video gaming. You can get it on Amazon or anywhere else. And realistically, it was meant to really lay out and give, you know, anyone, whether it's, you know, a student, a professional, someone like you, a you know, another attorney, like I, there's so many attorneys like, oh, I read your book and now I'm an esports lawyer, you know, like it was so helpful or this or that. And it's just, it was really meant to give you like a good cross reference to understand what's going on here. You know, I have a really good chapter on contracts where I go through a model player contract and a coach and a caster and give you some ideas on different negotiation tactics, things you should look for. And then we look at copyrights and trademarks and how that's beneficial and tax write-offs and business structures and, you know, hashtag ad and FTC. Like, like there's so many little things that go into it. So I, I really wanted it to be one of those things where you kind of like read it from front to back and just learn a ton of stuff. And, you know, whether you're in the industry or you're starting just really trying to learn, it'll really give you a good understanding. And it's very structured on the business side, understanding how everyone makes money, the different revenue streams that are available. And, you know, to me, that's what's important. What was it like writing a book? Did you write it fully yourself? Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things, you know, COVID happened and it's like, what do you do? Okay, well, you know, it was really like I was working on another book and then I was like, okay, maybe I'm going to do all these different articles and like all these different topics. And I was like, you know, why don't I just write a book? And I just literally opened up a Microsoft Word document and 
just started writing and you know as you're writing you're thinking of new topics and it's just started to evolve and you know a year later 300 word you know 300 pages and you know then i pitched for a book deal and i got a publishing deal and that you know that was really cool and you know then you have the whole editor process which takes you know another six months and the book came out and you know now i use it for teaching and it's really cool nice that's interesting i've always wanted to write a book um probably too early in my career to really be as hey, man. what go for it uh, i don't know i feel like i i have some stories that i would love to share one day but i also um i don't know that it's a book's worth so later down the road maybe when i'm like 35 40 years old uh that'll be the time where i sit down hopefully i still remember everything i've written some of it down there's some some stuff where it's just like what the hell was i thinking at the time and i don't know it's fun i feel like it'd be a, a an interesting story for some people um but I, I was curious just about like the whole process and did you didn't have anyone you wrote the book before you got the book deal yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, I'm pretty much you know was writing it, and then I probably had like you know a pitch kind of thing. I probably had like the first two chapters and like table of contents kind of thing, and I was sending that around, and it was like pretty much. But I just knew that like having a finished manuscript was the move because then if they're oh this is interesting, it's okay, cool, I can get you this quick. Because otherwise, usually they would do a deal, and then it's like okay, we have six months or however much to deliver it, and it was like. No, I want to move way quicker on that. So, you know, it, it was great, though. And it definitely is, you know, I'm working on the second edition now. Just want to keep it steady and moving. And, you know, there's been so much stuff that's happened that, you know, I want to continue to, you know, make it longer and more expansive. Yeah, I can imagine just as time goes on, there's only so much more or there's so much more that you can continue to add on a regular basis. I've almost every day. Yeah, like a hundred pages of notes of more <laughs> stuff to add, which is like over the years, I'm just like, okay, I want to put this one with this is article, like just like a running tab. And, you know, obviously as I'm doing more deals and more consistency, I'm, you know, learning new things and it's just becoming even, you know, like I said, like just more robust. Awesome. Awesome. Um, any other stories you want to share before we get out of here? Yeah, I mean, I, I always thought this fun, was fun one where you know, I actually had like a three-way bidding war for this Warzone player where, you know, we were negotiating with a team. They were kind of taking a really long time to get back to us with the updated deal. And, you know, then I started to talk to another team about a different player. And they were like, oh, well, you also have this guy. Like, what's his deal? And I'm like, oh, well, we're talking to this other team who's like, oh, well, we want him. We offered, you know, we'll offer this. And it was a lot you know, it was a much more substantial offer than the other team. So I was like, okay, like I kind of went back to them. I'm like, hey, like this is kind of what another team is offering. Like, are you able to match it? And they're like, oh, well, you know, we've had this happen before. We don't believe you. You know, people always come back at the end and say they have this mysterious deal to get more money. And it was like, hey, man, like that's not how I am. Like that's just not my MO, but whatever. And then at the same time, a third team is like, oh, you know, we're looking to sign some players. Like, what do you think? And they kind of were like, you know, kind of submitted an offer. And we kind of had these three teams all kind of vying for him. And, you know, we ended up obviously going with the, you know, the best deal that made the most sense. And it was just really interesting that, like, realistically, if this other team would have gotten us the deal back in, you know, pretty reasonable time... He would have been signed to that team. He would have gotten way less money, and it would have just been that. But because they took so long, you know, not only did they lose out on the player, but he got a much, much better deal elsewhere. And you know, it's actually worked for me, right? Right? It was cool though, because it was like, you know, like to have someone that's like really a hotly contested property, and to actually the same way in the NFL, where you know the the top free agent, like all the teams fly out to him and bring, right? I, I saw a clip where when, you know, the Warriors and everyone was trying to court Kevin Durant in his first free agency, you know, the Celtics flew out Tom Brady to the mansion, to the Hamptons, to talk to him and to tell him what being a star in Boston is like. It's like, 
you probably wasn't cheap to get Tom Brady to come fly in the on the week summer in the weekend to talk to Kevin Durant. Nah, definitely not. But that is cool. That's an interesting story. I've definitely seen orgs fumble the bag like that as well. Um, where a player fully plans to sign with somebody, they take way longer than it should to get a contract returned, and then it winds up going with somebody else. So, uh, that's interesting. Well, Justin, let's uh let's wrap it up there. Tell everyone where they can find you, where they could get your services if they are interested, and uh, anything else you'd like to shout out. Well, yeah, you know, thanks so much for having me. This was great. And everyone, make sure to check me out on Twitter, you know, Justin J E S Q, or Instagram, or check my website, J M J E S Q. I have lots of articles and my email and links to my book. So my DMs are open. I'm, you know, happy to speak to anyone that has any questions. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Justin. I really appreciate the insights. I appreciate you taking the time. I'm sure you're a busy man. So taking an hour out of your day to sit here and answer my questions is um, very valuable to me. And I hope is valuable to a lot of people that get to listen. Uh, if you are at home and you appreciated this, go give him a follow or check out his website. You can find it. It is J-M-J-E-S-Q dot com uh if you want to hit him up for services would very much recommend it but thank you everyone for listening and we will see you next time peace